Hey, welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and to trust Him more. To keep up with us or to get more information, visit celebrationchurchlive.com. Are in the second week of a little bit of a longer series for us. And with this, um, we are looking at this idea of being able to think thoughts on purpose. Uh, So many times it feels like our thoughts happen to us, that we're just sometimes even just victims of our own thoughts, that they just begin to come in. And so many of us would love to just be able to shut our minds down for a minute. But God created you that way. We're created in his image. We're going to see in a minute that that the scriptures remind us God has thoughts and that thinking is part of being created in the image of him. But there's also something that needs needs to be renewed. It's something that needs to be regenerated in our lives. And so we have to recognize that our thought patterns need to shift. Our thought patterns need to to grow and to mature. And if we don't, aren't conscious about that, we'll stay in the same thought thought ruts we're in all the time, which will leave us in the same life ruts that we're in all the time. You want to change your life, then change a thought. And once you've changed the way you think, your life will follow in the direction of your most dominant thought. So if you've got your um, Bible app open, if you're using the bulletin, however it is you want to track along, um, then we're jumping in here with this idea that our choices matter. You know that. We all know that our choices matter, but how do we impact those? How we think and what we think about guide our decision processes. And it is processes. There are layers to the decisions. There's an analytical part. There's an emotional part. There's all sorts of different parts of our decision process. And when we look at the book of Philippians, Paul writes, it's an encouraging book. It is this incredibly encouraging book written out of a very unencouraging space. Paul is in jail. Paul is in prison. He has dealt with prison a lot. He's dealt with beatings a lot, but you can see that he doesn't let his mind dwell on those different things. And and we get so many places of just encouragement. In fact, most Bible scholars say if you're going to define the book of Philippians with one word, it's going to be the word joy. It's going to be the word joy that Philippians is going to be defined by. And he's writing it from prison. Okay. So that means all of a sudden, Paul's got this thing of not letting your circumstances on the outside determine what's happening on the inside. Paul's Paul's living this out. Paul's kind of got some of this figured out. And now he's, chapter four, he's wrapping this letter up, okay? And let's jump in here one more time. He says, finally, okay? He's encouraged them. He's brought so much joy. He's pointed out places to rejoice. He's pointed out places he's personally rejoicing. And now he's wrapping this up. Finally, brothers and sisters, okay? This is all of us. All right, all you ladies out there, you're like, yeah, you men do need some help with your thought life. <laughs> ladies, scripture said you need some help too. <laughs> Points out the sisters in the room. You need some help. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, 
whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think on those things on purpose. And that's why we've titled this series Thought Bubbles. Because every thought bubble you've ever seen, you know, typically in comics and that kind of stuff, um, every thought bubble you've ever seen has an author. That thought didn't just show up on the page randomly. It, has, it had an author. And we need to recognize, we need to participate as authors to our thoughts. And this is what Paul is telling us. Think these thoughts on purpose, that you will have thoughts that don't align here. And this gives you some parameters to where you begin to cut thoughts off and say, nope, 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 I'm not going to think on those things. What do I think about? Well, here we go. Here is where we're going to think. And I love that every time it's whatever, whatever is true. So many times, again, we can think that, that God-honoring thoughts are just this little narrow thing that we're just, we're just thinking about, uh, we're thinking about a scripture, we're, we're thinking about these little sweet things. No, it's whatever is true. We can begin to think about nature and God's creation. We enjoy sunsets and sunrises, right, because of the beauty that's there. We can think about it. It's true. God created them, okay? We, all of a sudden, we can begin to expand whatever is true. He says, the very first parameter that gets laid out for our thoughts is first make sure you stay focused on things that are true. Why is that the first thing we have to start with? Because there's an enemy out there that is feeding you lies all the time all the time. And you can begin to think about the lies, begin to get wrapped up in the lies. So the very first thing to be, bring a healthy thought life around to get some transformation in that space is to make sure you line up with what is true. Well, if we're going to think about what's true, first, we're going to have to know what, the, what is true. We're going to have to know some truth. And the thing is, is for us to be able to expand it we ha- and be able to respond in a healthy way, we have to recognize all of the aspects that are true, okay? And I'm going to give you uh, three truths of one aspect of Brandon Clark that I have to walk in and live out. In fact, I just did it during worship, okay? And this has to do with Brandon Clark's singing ability, okay? (laughs) Which doesn't exist, okay? (laughs) Except there is this truth that exists that if we could stick a microphone in my head, you people would love it. It sounds so good in there. I, I'm telling you, it just sounds amazing. I, I would have, you know, I, they would be trying to pull me off of this stage and put me on some stage, put me on tour around the world. It, it sounds so amazing in my head. I enjoy my own singing. That's one point of truth. That's one part of it. There's another aspect of the truth. Other people do not. It does not sound out there the way it sounds in here. It just doesn't. And I've had to learn how to function with both. I enjoy my singing. 
other people do not enjoy my singing, okay? The scriptures tell us that to bring a sacrifice of praise, and I do it. And some people sounds like my praise, like something sounds like it's being sacrificed, like <laughs> that something's dying over there. And so, but with me, I have to understand both, which is why I have always, even when I wasn't on staff, gravitated towards the front rows. Why? Because then I could just let it rip and I'm not bothering anybody back there. If I was sitting behind you, it would bother you. In fact, my pastor, who will be with us soon, he would sit there and I sat behind him in church and he would be worshiping and then all of a sudden I'd be singing and he'd do this. <laughs> and do this over and over again. He'd tell me, he said, Brandon, he said, you, you just wrecked my anointing. You squelched my anointing. I was like, sir, you need a stronger anointing because <laughs> I am not going to quit. I am not going to quit singing because there's a third truth at work and that my heavenly father loves it. My heavenly father loves my worship. He loves my singing. He totally gets it, okay? Y'all sound, it sounds like, like me just going through multiple keys. I'm just wrecking stuff. I'm off key. And he just hears, wreck, 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 wreck. I mean, he just like, he's like, man, Pastor Brandon is breaking it down over there. He is, he is loving it. Other people like distortion on guitar. I got some distortion on my voice. And, and, and God is rocking out to it. He's like, yeah, bring it, Clark. And so, and I had to learn that if I want to be able to connect with the highest truth, which is God's truth, the highest truth is God's truth, that he enjoys when I bring my worship, then I have to go, you know what, even though others don't, I'm going to not let that get in the way. Now, I position me on the front row. They have their in-ears, and there's a lot of times they're raising it. They're like, I can still hear pastor. <laughs> bring it up, bring it up, bring it up. And so, but I have to go, you know what? I'm not going to be defined by these other things, even though it's true. In fact, last year, um, I accidentally, absentmindedly <laughs> turned on my mic on the front row right at the beginning of the service. And man, Jacob, who was playing guitar, but he can sing amazingly. Drums, sorry. He doesn't play guitar. He was in the drums. Sorry. He was up here leading a song. His sister was over here singing with him. And all of a sudden, I bust out and I'm singing and it's coming through the mains and he can and he's sitting there singing and he looks like his mic like what is broken with my with his mic and I'm sitting there and I'm like man Jacob sounds better than this this is terrible this is terrible and as I'm sitting there and I'm just feeling bad for him so I'm just trying to help so I'm going more like come on buddy and so you can you can find your groove and all of a sudden Pastor Keenan smacks me in the chest and said, your mic is on. I'm like, oh. And so I felt terrible. I just messing everybody up. But it's the truth. It's the truth. But if I don't understand all of those truths, then, then I'm not going to be able to, to live in the highest truth. To be able to, no matter what other people think, be able to bring and present my God who gave all of him, himself to me. 
then I'm going to give all of myself to him. Not just the parts I'm confident in, not just the parts I want to present, not just the parts I'm proud to present, but the parts, all the parts he wants. And otherwise, I would live on a lower level if I did not recognize and know within my heart he enjoys my worship. He enjoys it. We have to understand in the truth, it begins to just open so many different things up, but it requires, it requires God's Holy Spirit at work in our lives. See, the Holy Spirit will help us to recognize the truth so that we can think on things that are true. Let's look at John 16. John 16, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he tells them, this is Jesus speaking to his closest disciples, not people who are on the periphery of his ministry, not people who just showed up to get some free bread and some free fish. He's not just people who are there on the edges. These are his core disciples, people who walked away from their careers and followed Jesus not for a day or for a week, but for years. That's who he's talking to. And he says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. Jesus, as their personal mentor, there were things he couldn't say to them that they would not be able to receive. There's some truth that they needed for their lives, but Jesus himself could not present those truths. But he understood that there was a partnership that would take place. He said, but when he, the spirit, the Holy Spirit, but look what it gets called here. The spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. Here we go as we see the entire Trinity at work right here. We have Jesus giving some heads up to his disciples that there's some stuff I'm aware of in your life, but I can't go there, but the Holy Spirit can go there because he's going to talk about what the father knows. We see all three of them fully at work in this space. That Jesus' disciples, there were certain things they just needed to have it revealed from the inside. That's how it was going to have to function. You and I, there are certain truths we simply need to let the Holy Spirit bring alive to us. Our best friends, our spiritual mentors can't present them. We will reject them. We'll bow up against them. But the Holy Spirit can go to places that nobody else can go. But only if we allow him. Only if you choose to say, Lord, I know I don't know everything. I know I don't fully know me. And I need you to reveal some things that only you can see. That's the only way we're going to be able to move forward. Let's look at Romans chapter 8 verse 5. It says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. If we're going to live according to the spirit, we first have to desire, have our minds set on what does the Holy Spirit say? What does the Holy Spirit bring to the table? We can confuse ourselves and we can have our minds set on fleshly things and wonder why this life in Christ isn't working out so good. 
Well, what do you think about all the time? Where's your mind at all the time? Are you saying, Lord, I want your thoughts. Your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I know my thoughts need to be elevated. I know my thoughts need to come up. Lord, what is on your heart? I know what's frustrating my heart. I need to know what is on your heart. But instead, we stay frustrated in ourselves and say, well, what? God doesn't even care. He's not even near. He didn't even do, he's not even doing anything about this. We need to turn our attention. We need to turn our mindset to him. That is where things begin to shift, when the Holy Spirit begins to change things. I want us to look real quick, in just a second, at the life of Peter. Because Peter was as close of a disciple as you could get. Peter was one of the original ones to walk away from his career, drop his nets, walk away from from the boats, and follow Jesus. Jesus had not yet done a bunch of amazing miracles. He did not have a bunch of fame. Peter all of a sudden just recognizes there's something special here and, and connects with Jesus and begins to walk with Jesus. And because of that, Because Peter walks with Jesus throughout almost all of Jesus's earthly ministry. Peter has a first row seat to every teaching Jesus did. Sermon on the Mount, he could tell it to you front ways and back ways. Peter was there. The private teachings, when Jesus would explain the parables just to his disciples, Peter was there. When Lazarus comes out of the tomb, Peter's there. When the loaves are handed out and they are multiplied and become and feed thousands and thousands of people, the fish are multiplied thousands and thousands of people, Peter is there. Peter's there all through it. Peter's there when Jesus is in the garden and Jesus is praying, saying, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. I'm going to go the distance. Yes, Peter was falling asleep a lot. That part's true. But he still heard the words. He was there. He was there. He was there when Jesus taught, do not answer evil with evil. Jesus taught to turn the other cheek. When Jesus taught to, to love and to respond in love, Peter heard those teachings himself, had Jesus as a mentor. You would think that that would make a significant change if just being near the teachings of Jesus, if just being near the teachings of Jesus and actually hearing him teach him, if that was, going, if that was what was required to produce a life change, Peter would have had it. He would have had it, but guess what happens? Right after he hears Jesus praying that not my will but yours be done, then Jesus comes back to the group and all of a sudden there in the dark of night they see, they see some torches. They hear some footfalls. There's, some, there's a group approaching in the dark of night and then all of a sudden that one man comes forward out of that group and it's a it's a person they recognize. It's, oh, it's, it's Judas. It's Judas. Judas comes up and greets Jesus, calls him rabbi, kisses him on the cheek. And as soon as that kiss happens and Judas backs away, things go sideways. This was not a friendly group. This was not 
Judas bringing some friends along to meet with Jesus. All of a sudden, we, this thing went sideways. And we now see the faces inside that glow. We see the anger. He sees all of that and, and see them coming after Jesus. They say, we're looking for Jesus. And Jesus says, I am he. And, and, and the scriptures say the entire mob just falls down. They're just knocked down by the power of Jesus declaring who he is. Peter sees it. Peter sees Jesus is not weak. Jesus is not frail. Jesus is not vulnerable. Jesus is powerful. And he sees those people still with anger, still unchanged, climb up off the ground and come at Jesus all over again. And Peter responds in the most carnal way any of us could respond. This is my teacher. This is my master. And I am not going to let you do anything. And Peter pulls his sword and he reaches out and he swings his sword. And he goes after a guy that's not a soldier, not another guy who's armed with a sword. It's a servant of the high priest whose name is Malchus. And he, the scriptures say that he cuts off Malchus's ear. Okay? He cuts Malchus's ear off. Okay? Let's think about this. All right? Um, the ear is kind of positioned in an odd space to be easily removed with a sword. <laughs> this is not an easy thing to do, okay? So, but it happens. So, so what does that tell us Peter's doing? Well, first off, where's the ear located? It's on his head, okay? Peter's going for a headshot here. Pete, this isn't a warning. Peter didn't say back up or else. Peter's like, I'm killing and I'm going after it fast. So he goes and he is swinging, okay? So he goes for a headshot. Now, more than likely, what takes place is he's going to do the old side swing. He's just going to get something. When then Malchus, what's he going to do? He's going to try to dodge, and more than likely, he's just getting out of the way, and he loses his ear. Peter is literally trying to behead him in the presence of Jesus, and he takes his ear off. Peter's a fisherman. He's not some expert swordsman. He doesn't sit there and go, ha, back off or there'll be more of that. No, he's just trying to do it. Or he swings overhead and he's just trying to cleave him down the middle. He's just trying to split the dude wide open. However it is, Peter is trying to kill this man. Yep. He is in the presence of the author of life who said don't return evil for evil, who obviously is powerful enough to handle this situation himself. And Peter is so unchanged in his heart that his first response is to kill. His first response is to kill. And here's how Jesus responds to him. In verse 52, Matthew 26, he says, put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. What's in your, what are you thinking about, Peter? You don't think I, I can handle my heavenly father if that is the way this needed to go, that it could go that way? 
problem was Peter wasn't thinking. Peter was reacting. He had his mind set on the carnal things of life, and he was simply reacting. Well, here's what is absolutely remarkable. It's just a month and a half or so later. This happens right before Jesus is crucified, buried, and three days later is risen. And then all of a sudden we come to the day of Pentecost. We come 50 days after Jesus' resurrection. And now the Holy Spirit descends. And now Peter has something that's very different. He doesn't have an adjacentness to Jesus. He doesn't have a proximity to Jesus. He doesn't simply have know and be able to quote Jesus's words. Now he has the spirit of truth alive in the inside of him. Now, after three and a half years, and Peter was unchanged enough that he was going to he was going to cut somebody's head off for Jesus in just a month and a half after that moment, because the Holy Spirit is alive on the inside of him. Now Peter is incredibly different. And then on the on Acts, this Acts chapter two, Peter is there in the in the city streets declaring and preaching one of the most bold, amazing sermons that's ever been preached. Thousands of people come to Christ. Why? Why is it different? Why is it different for Peter? Because the Holy Spirit was alive on the inside of him. The Holy Spirit made the change. Folks, just being familiar with Jesus' teaching wasn't enough for Peter and it's not enough for you. Come on now, say it. Just being having proximity to Jesus, saying, I'm a friend to Jesus, I will defend Jesus. It bothers me that the government and people are coming against our Christian heritage. It just makes me want to rise up and fight. Okay, you're, you, you get over there in line with Peter. Get in line with Peter. That's what Peter wanted to do. And Jesus said, no, you're not thinking right. You're not thinking right. You know what America needs? America needs a bunch of believers who actually trust Jesus, allow the Holy Spirit to be alive, and love like Jesus. That nobody can argue with us loving like Jesus. Nobody can come against us loving and laying our lives down like Jesus. You know what happens when somebody pulls out a sword like Peter? They pull out their sword. All we're going to end up is just just biting and devouring one another. That's all that will happen. But if we love like Jesus, that's where real transformation happens. Then we see this space in John chapter 18. John chapter 18, right here, right after Peter has his moment, Jesus is arrested. The truth comes up again. But this time with Pilate. And Pilate then went back inside the palace and he summoned Jesus and asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is, what is it that you have done? And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to preserve, to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. If my kingdom was here, Peter had been right. But now my kingdom is from another place. 
You are a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And here comes the question of all questions. What is truth? What is truth, Pilate asks And with that, he went out again to the Jews gathered there and said, I find no basis for a charge against him. The existential question of our time is what is truth? Somehow truth is relative. That Pilate in that one question is like, nobody can really nail down what truth actually is. And that's the lie that has permeated our society. That you can have your truth and I can have my truth and somehow they can both be true and that is not true. There is one truth and it's not defined by you and it's not defined by me but it's defined by truth itself. That is where it has changed. That is where it's transformed and if we don't look to truth itself we will never understand the real truth. See, thinking on what is true sets us up to live lives that are truly free. That are truly, genuinely free. I think that relativistic push for truth is this thing within us to desire freedom. Because the thing is, if we just say, okay, well, you or this person or that person can define truth, well, now we're afraid you're going to box me into somebody I'm not, really, I'm not really created to be inside of your truth. And that's, that'll happen. If we let some human institution define truth, then it will. It will begin to box us in to places that are not true. But if we let the author of truth begin to define truth, that is where things will shift. John chapter 8, verse 31, it says, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teachings, you are, true, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Why do we need to think on whatever is true? Because it was for freedom that Christ has set us free. Any place a lie has root is a place we're not free. So the very first thing that God wants us to be is free. He's not trying to cage us in. He's not trying to box us in. He's trying to liberate us. John 1.17 says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace and truth are not opposing forces. They are partnering forces. The truth is, is that grace is truth. We are truly under grace. We are truly under God's heart is full of grace towards us. And that is the truth. And it's that grace that lets us boldly look at truth. Truth without grace will condemn us. But because of the the truth of grace, it will let us look into truth and see where we need to transform, where we need to align with the heart of God. It sets us free. John chapter 4 verse 23 says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. See, Jesus 
Jesus is truth with flesh on. And everything he did was truth in action. This is why we need to continually lean into Jesus. Jesus isn't this place where we start our relationship with God and then we somehow move on from Jesus. No, Jesus is the fullness of truth. Yes, we start with Jesus, but then we just grow deeper and deeper and deeper into Jesus. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. See, the Bible all along, the scriptures all along have been pointing us to Jesus. They've been slowly revealing, been hinting at Jesus. We did a series years ago called, um, called uh, Shouts and Whispers, where we looked at the places in the Old Testament that just declared who Jesus is. And, and in that, we see, in Jesus, we see the true Adam, whose obedience in a garden allowed us to step over from death into life instead of the original Adam who stepped over from life into death. When we look at it, we see the true Abraham. Jesus is the true Abraham who answered the call to leave a comfortable place and be able to come into a place and, and, and go boldly into a void and bring about a new people for God. That is who Jesus is. He's the true Abraham. He's the true Isaac. He's the true son of promise that was given by a father to be able to, to bring about fresh life. Jesus is the true Joseph who sits at the right hand of the king and intercedes to bring forgiveness and restoration and use his power to set his people free. Jesus is the true Moses who stands in the gap and intercedes and mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true David whose victory was given to all the people, even though the people didn't lift a stone to help accomplish the victory. Jesus, over and over again, he is truth over and over and over again. John 1, 14, again, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and the only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. 1 Thessalonians 1. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the wrath to come. God is not just living. He is true. And so if we're going to respond to this, we're going to live in truth. If our thoughts are going to be aligned with truth, then we have to look to him for truth. Then we don't have to be intimidated about his thoughts. Because that's one of the first lies is so many times you think God's thoughts for you are negative. God's thoughts for you are judgmental. But Jeremiah 29.11, many of you know it by heart. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not evil to give you a future and hope. If you think about your life and it is not defined by hope, you are thinking the wrong thoughts. If you think about your life, you're not thinking God's thoughts. God's thoughts are about a future and a hope for you. That's God's thoughts. That is God's plan. 
is a future and a hope. And if your thoughts don't align with that, then you need to say, God, help me to see me in your light. And know that that is going to bring about a transformation and a change. It's going to bring about a fresh perspective that is going to be defined by hope. Our bottom line today is this, that lies die in the light of truth. They die. They lose their power. So we have to think on whatever is true. I want to create a quiet moment right here and right now because here is the truth. The truth is, is you need a savior. The truth is, is the only one that's ever been provided is Jesus. And Jesus willingly, purposefully laid down his life so that you could be forgiven and set free. And the truth is, is that you have the authority to either live life your own way, decide you're going to figure it out for yourself, or you have the authority to place your faith in Jesus and allow what he provided to account to you. And so now you're here. What are you going to do? You're going to embrace the truth of the salvation that's freely provided in Jesus, or you can continue to go your own way. Thank you for listening to this message from Celebration Church. You can keep up with all that God is doing here at Celebration by following us on Facebook and Instagram.